So what did you really think? Like, I want to know. I'm ready to hear it. I'm ready to hear it. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keep It Fictional. Today, we are doing things a little bit differently. There are four of us, and we have just two books to recommend. That is because we have partnered up for Buddy Reads this episode. So I think it's safe to say that we can expect this may be a dramatic episode <laughs> because we are going to get two opinions on the same book. And I can pretty much guess that they are not going to match up. <laughs> so today, Virginia and Sadie have been book buddies. So we are going to start it off with them. I don't even know what they picked and I can't wait to find out. All right. Well, Sadie and I have chosen Blood Debts by Terry J. Benton Walker. It is a young adult fantasy novel that came out in April. And I did suggest it to Sadie, so I take full responsibility for what happened in the next 50 minutes. I chose this because I've seen a lot of the book frequently on the book internet. And it is a debut novel. It's a series. It's full of magic. It's young adult. I thought that would be something that Sadie would enjoy. And I think based on the books that we both have talked about on the show, I feel like, and Sadie could correct me, that both of us sort of like fantasy stories that are more socially conscious, you know, like that we use the stories of magic to explore the themes of like racism, colonialism, and sort of, of course, the ridiculous rhetoric that people use to justify oppression and to keep those oppression alive. So we thought this would be a good book. It's got diverse characters. And I do have to say it's got a great cover. I really do like the cover. It looks like it's so much fun. So we thought like, okay, this will be a book for us. So our book is set in New Orleans and it's like our world, but with magic. So it's more of an urban fantasy here. The gods will show up occasionally at your door. And there is, of course, lots of magic. Two main types of magic here. One of them, the magic that draws most of the power from the sun. And this is the magic that mages who are white usually practice. And then we have the other kind of magic that draw power from the moon, which they call generational magic. And this magic is usually practiced by mages who are black. And it is kind of a magic that developed out of necessity back when the days when black people were enslaved. Our two main characters are twin brother and sister, Clement and Christina, Clem and Chris. And Clem and Chris came from a family that has a long tradition of practicing generational magic. In fact, their grandmother, also named Christina, was the head of the magical council when she was alive. Unfortunately, she was stripped of her power when she was accused of murdering the mayor's daughter with magic. When the mayor found out, he led an angry mob to the house to avenge his daughter. And that night, a lot of people died, including their grandmother and grandfather. After that, because of this accusation, the family was stripped of their position and another family is now head of the magical council. 
It also led to a lot of outcries to ban magic, a lot of protests, and to this day, that say that they have to regulate magic because magic is a menace to society. And of course, all of this is really targeted at people who are Black. But many people continue to practice magic because that's part of the tradition, part of the family, part of the culture. And that is why Clem is so frustrated with his sister, Chris, because for whatever reason, Chris has decided that she wants nothing to do with magic anymore. That's happened not long after their father died. She decided that, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And she refused to explain why. She won't tell Clem or anybody else why she stopped using magic. And that is frustrating because Clem is not very good at it. He still wants to do it, but he's just not very good at it. Whereas Chris is a natural. Chris is so good at it. There is no doubt that with her raw talents, if she keep practicing, if she keep learning, she will be just as good as their grandmother, maybe even better. But for some reason, Chris decided that she wants nothing to do with magic anymore. And Clem really needs her to perform some magic because their mother is really sick. A lot of doctors have came by, they've done a lot of tests, and no one could figure out what is making their mother sick. And so Clem just wants something, maybe some kind of magic, some sort of spells that could maybe even just alleviate her pain, just make her feel a little bit better. And he doesn't know how to do it, and he thinks that Chris could help, but Chris won't do magic anymore. And what we find out is that Chris is scared. Chris is absolutely terrified of something that happened when their father died. Chris was best friends with Valentina Savant. And Valentina Savant is the granddaughter of the woman who took Chris's grandmother's place on the Magical Council, Lenora Savant. Her family took over when Chris and Clem's grandmother was removed of her titles and stripped of the council and killed. And Valentina and Chris uh, were very close. They were best friends. They used to tell each other everything. And then one day, everything changed. And Chris is not entirely sure exactly what happened, but Valentina started being absolutely horrible to her and started doing all of these terrible things at school to her. And in retribution, Chris decided to fight back to her. And uh, I'm I'm trying to remember, she did something with her hair. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. And in retaliation of that, Valentina put a whole bunch of videos up online of Chris talking in private of certain things about certain people at school. And Valentina revealed this. So Chris is absolutely mortified and very, very angry. And so she decides that she's going to use magic to tip the scales of justice back in her favor. And so she finds a spell in her great-grandmother's spell book, and it's called the Scales of Justice. And she casts the spell to see what can happen to Valentina, finally to tip the scales of justice back into her favor. And then her father dies. And Chris is convinced that the reason her father died was because the spell was not performed properly, because she did something wrong and she made her father die. And so because of that, this is the reason that Chris has decided that she is no longer going to do magic because she is absolutely terrified of it. She won't reveal that to Clem. It has put a lot of distance in between them. They used to be very close and now they are always fighting, always arguing, and they won't really talk to each other anymore. 
But on this morning, the doctor is coming. And as Virginia said, Clem, he just wants to do something. He wants to do anything to help his mother ease her pain or give her some sort of luck, anything. And so he sets out to perform a spell, except the the final piece of the spell, his dad's knife, is missing. And so he turns to Chris and he says, I, I don't know what can what I can do. He he's failed again. He knows he's not as good as her in magic, and he doesn't know what to do. So she encourages him to do a luck spell. And she doesn't perform the magic, but she helps him to create this luck spell and create this pouch of ingredients that he can put into their mother's room and that will maybe, maybe impact something. They go into their mother's room and place this pouch underneath the mattress. And what they find is a hex doll. A hex doll which has an earring of their mother's and is designed to hurt. It is designed to kill. And that is the reason that their mother is sick. This is the reason all along that their mother was sick, that their mother was close to dying, was because of this hex doll. So now Chris has a new new path in life. Chris has decides that even though she's not going to use magic, she's going to do everything in her power to discover who put this hex doll in their mother's room and who is trying to kill her mother and once again hurt her family. There's a lot of injustice she finds. Her family has never been on the top ever since her grandmother was stripped of her title and accused of murder and killed. Her family has just taken one hit after another. And so Chris is determined to figure it out, to track down whoever it was that hurt their mother and try and figure out what is going on. As Chris's investigation furthers, I won't go into a lot of detail, but we start to learn that things might be connected to her grandmother and to the death of Alexis Lancaster, the mayor's daughter, all those 30 years ago. So that is our story. I've mentioned this so many times in Virginia. I am so curious what you think about this book. I am so, so curious. So I had an interesting experience because I read part of it and I listened to part of it. And I struggled to get into this book at the start. I really, really struggled. I did not like Chris. I did not like Clem. They both just drove me absolutely crazy. (laughs) I don't know if this is what the author was doing, but it bugs me when authors writing YA lit try to make the characters sound, for lack of a better word, teenager-ish. And I kind of feel like the author was trying to do that. And it comes across as not very authentic and not very accurate. But then at the same time, I feel like there was also a lot of very non-teenager content and non-teenager language. I mean, I don't know. It it, it just seemed like a, a very conflicting ideas in these characters. But when I listened to it, I I got into the story a lot more and actually did not mind the two characters of Chris and Clem. And I know that it was because of actually listening to the audiobook because I I was doing both to try and get through the book. So I listened to it and then I would go home and I would read it at night before bed. And when I read it at night, I enjoyed it less as when I was listening to the audiobook. (laughs) It felt like there was too many elements to the story 
And I don't know exactly what the author was trying to do because it felt like he would put characters in for one purpose only. And that that's the only purpose that they would serve. And then they would kind of disappear. And, and I'll be curious to know, I might not read the second one, but I'm curious to know in the second book if these characters come into it a bit more. Without giving too much away, the ending was a shock to me and I did not like it. <laughs> I will just say that. I think that it went completely against Clem as a character and as a person, as how they kind of built him to be. The whole book, he was worried about Chris and the fact that she was becoming super bloodthirsty and a very, very cruel person. And then I feel like in the end, that's who he kind of turned into as well, in a way. So, so yeah, that. That is my review. I might have more to say after after we hear what Virginia thought. Well, I agree with pretty much everything that you said so far, Sadie. Absolutely. This book has the things that will stop me from reading a book. Characters. Big time. Like, I had such a hard time engaging with the characters. I do not care for them at all. And there were so many of them, way too many of them. And I just didn't feel invested in them. And I think partly what it is that, like you said, is I find that I have a hard time relating to because of the relationships with each other. I feel like their behavior is so inconsistent. It doesn't make sense to me how they react to one another, how they behave. So that I had trouble with that. And I think partly why I, I have such a hard time with the character is because of the decision that they offer for whatever reason decide he just keep trying to withhold information throughout the book. There are too many elements and there are too many things that really don't contribute to the main plot at all. But yet they're being treated as something really, really important. Ooh, this big secret, you know, that he cannot tell you about. Well, why did these people have a fall? Why don't they talk to each other anymore? Who is this character that they keep talking about that seems to be crucial, but they won't tell you who they are? Where did this baby come from? Like, you know, all of those questions are like, why? Why do you have to keep that a secret? Because when you find out 200 pages later, you're like, that's it? Why don't you tell me earlier? It, there's no payoff to it. And I feel like if they told me earlier, maybe I'll be more engaged because now the characters are a bit more interesting because I find out there's a bit more to them earlier on. So it's just like annoying. And that's one part that I totally sympathize with Chris and Clement because they are in the same boat, right? Just like us. Nobody would tell them anything. They are kept in the dark for most of it. And there's no reason it doesn't help the book at all. Because at the core of it, there is an interesting story of them trying to go back and figure out like what happened 30 years ago and how does that affect them? And what is this big secret? What is the big conspiracy behind it? So there is an interesting mystery to it. But so many other things that are thrown in that I don't know why they are there, including like we we're talking about earlier, including the points of view of a couple like chapters. For some reason, there are two of them from like some guy named Zachary, whom is mentioned once in very earlier on. And you know that, oh, you know, he's like the the bully, the one who like did something with Clem, you know, and but then that's it. And then suddenly, like you have two chapters that are from their point of view that just them coming back to the city. I'm like, who cares? Like, who are you? Why Why should I read about you? And I'm assuming that in the second book, they may come, they better, or else I just like really don't know why we're doing this. But like, there's no point to introduce them here. Like, there's really absolutely no point. So it's very weird 
it makes it all muddled and confusing. And the ending is, I think you're right, like that is definitely sort of more towards what Chris wants to do. And I'm assuming the author is sort of making a statement about what happened when you are oppressed for so long, like what can you do? And I'm assuming in the second book, then maybe we'll get more of Clamp. I don't know. I will never know because I'm not going to read it. So so you have to tell me, Sadie. We'll see. I might not read it either. I think it's interesting that we have explained the book, I think, pretty much got the the highlights and the the main points. And we have not even talked about some of the characters who have what seem like very main storylines. And I don't think we necessarily need to. And I think that that just kind of speaks to how much extra there was and how much I, I just I feel like it could have been pared down. I think that the, the stories with their aunts and all of their side stories were not necessary. And I think that the author was trying to create or trying to explain maybe what exactly led to this fracture in their family and their aunts all going their separate ways. But each one had their own backstory. And it almost feels like each one needs their own book to <laughs> to kind of describe what led them there. And instead of doing that, the author just tried to fit it all into this one book, which I feel like should be Chris and Clem's story with the influences of their of their grandmother and of their mother, but they just, he, he tried to put everything into one. And yeah, I feel like he tried to use characters like Zach because they had a purpose and that was their only purpose in the book. But I don't know why they wanted to give him his perspective then. that Maybe that's what I'm struggling with is because there was a purpose to that character. I don't know if maybe that purpose could have been fulfilled by another character who was already introduced in the book and who was already there. But yeah, I, I feel like and this might not always be the case, but in a lot of the books I've read, when authors give, for lack of a better term, villains perspectives in the book and their own, allow the reader to see things from their perspective, part of it is to give some sort of empathy towards the character. Not always, but I feel like that's kind of, they're doing these terrible things, but this is their side of it. And maybe you can kind of see some sort of explanation for why they're like this. It didn't do it for me. I, I hated both of those characters just as much as I did hearing about what they did as opposed to hearing from their own words what they did or what they were going to do. And so it was just a very interesting kind of tactic that I don't think necessarily played out in the way that maybe the author wanted it to. Exactly. So I'm sorry, Sadie. <laughs> Sorry that I picked this book. It was weird because reading, I think reading good reads to this, like definitely very divisive on the book. There's a lot of five stars, like they're like the best book that I've ever read. And then there's a lot of one stars. So sorry. That's okay. That's okay. And yeah, like I feel like the idea behind the book and like you were saying, like it has elements that are interesting that that I wanted to know more about, that I wanted to learn about, but it, it just had too much extra that was not necessary. And I feel like the cover is like the cover promised me something fun. The cover looks so great. I love it. And it's like, it promised me something really fun. So yeah. Anyway, so that is our review, our buddy read. Successful because we both uh, have the similar feelings to it. So I think that's a successful bloody read. Um, buddy read, bloody read. I was going to say the title of the book. 
Thank you so much for that candid response. I feel like we don't always get to hear um, such a candid response from Virginia and Sadie. You just needed like a little bit of bolstering from each other. to, uh, Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of like almost want to read it now just so that I can like join in on the on the like frustration of, you know, understand where you're coming from. <laughs> what, Kareen? <laughs> Why, why would you read a book that you want to be that is going to frustrate you? Like, I, it's interesting because, like, I think that um, Sadie and Virginia both have a lot of things in common as readers, not necessarily like exactly the same. Oh, this is going to be a bad analogy. Not exactly the same flavor of ice cream, but they come from the same factory and that they both really enjoy a really well done fantasy and like an interesting magic system and an interesting world build. I know Sadie sometimes comes at it more of like YA fantasy, Virginia people turn into bananas fantasy, but like they both have an appreciation for the genre. So when both of like what I consider like my subject experts in these two genres are like, it's a pass. I'm going to respect that opinion. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to, I'm going to appreciate the cover from afar. Absolutely. All right. I think we're going to move into our existential question, which may become a little bit catty. I'm I'm interested to see. So um, what I want to know is what staff member, of course, we have many, many different staff members here. We have librarians, we have Cirque, we have Shelvers, we have management, all of these people, and we all read different stuff. And you can see some of the things that we read on our staff picks shelf. What I would like to know from my book friends is who you feel would be your best buddy read match. Who do you feel like you would be really successful with that? And then also, who do you feel that you would not be at all successful with? So the worst first, and this is a no secret, me and this other person both know it. We will never, ever find a book that we'll both like. And we talk about this all the time. So my worst book buddy that will never, never like the same book is not the Corrine on the show, but another Corrine at the library. Maybe it's just me and Cor anybody named Corrine, I guess, because this other Corrine, she despises speculative fiction, despise it. And that's, of course, like already half of what I read. And she also has zero tolerance of anything that is just a little off. Just a little. Doesn't have to be like a lot of banana pants. Just a little bit. If it is not realistic, no thank you. And it doesn't matter what genre it is. We both read Latin American literature. And so we both read one of the book, Family Esquieto, which I love. And like, she tried to read it and she was just like, eh, you know, like, and so it's like a, like a family saga story, which is right up her alley, but because there's just something weird about it and she just can't deal with it. Right. So every time I return books, when she's checking them in, she'll look at them and she'll read the blurb and you can just see in her eyes that she would love to just throw this in the garbage if it weren't for a library book. You can just tell how much she just does not understand. And I think what decides definitively for me that we will never be book friends is that she picked up Interior Chinatown because not all my suggestion because of Liz, probably, and everybody else is here. Um, and I think she said she read about 50 pages and she just like did not care for it. So, you know, we can be friends and she knows it and I know it and that is okay. Even book covers, we can't like not even the book, we can't even agree on book covers. 
I remember one time I returned Rabbit Hutch by Tess Gunty, which is national book award winner. And she saw the cover, which is this beautiful, like minimalistic cover. And she's like, uh, there's an anatomically correct heart with an arrow on it. Ugh, what is this? So Corinne and I will never be book friends, and that's okay. Sometimes she processes my hosts and she'll leave a little post-it on it. And she'll be like, oh, maybe this is the book that we'll like. And then I have to go and tell her, it's not a book for me. It's for my husband. I didn't put it on hold for me. And it would be just like the most disappointing thing for her. But yeah, but you know what? That's okay because that's why there are so many books out there because there's a book for everybody and we need all kinds of different readers to read them. So that's okay that we will never be book friends. Now, my best book buddy, and this is also a no-brainer for me, and it's got to be Sydney. I think the success rate of us liking a book, if we do a buddy read, is like 99.9%. I am pretty sure. Sydney is totally my kind of reader. She's completely, absolutely on board with anything weird, with anything that is completely messed up. The more messed up, the better. And there are so many books that we already have shared that, you know, that brings so much joy to both of us. Mother Thing by Ainsley Hofgaard, which you know I love and she loves. And even just yesterday, Sydney came to me and said, I got a galley for Normal Woman, the new Ainsley Hofgaard book. And I was like, me too! You know, and it was just like the most exciting thing for both of us. And Eric LaRocca, this is just my chance to like say a bunch of books. Things have gotten worse since we last book. Again, great cover. And it's just so messed up and we both love it. And it's not just like mess up kind of book, but also like she also liked the surreal, more kind of like weird fiction. Our Wives Under the Sea, she loves. We talk about Jeff Vandermeer sometimes, you know, of course, another big name in the weird fiction. And sometimes even like the more sort of speculative fiction that, that really engages with a person emotionally, like The Vanished Birds by Simon Jimenez. We both love those books. So it is so super nice to have someone who understands why these books are so awesome. So thank you, Sydney. And I know both of us are kind of like, we don't want to impose. So even though sometimes we have books that we really want to tell somebody about, we don't just because we feel like, uh, you know, it's weird, you know, just in case. But Sydney, if you're listening, you can recommend books to me anytime. I will absolutely take your recommendations and I don't usually do that, as you all know, but I trust in your book taste and I will be honored if you're willing to share your books with me. So I'm a little bit jealous that you have like that you have like a, a book buddy and also that you have a not book buddy because um, I'm going to basically I'm going to basically not answer this, this question <laughs> because, OK, because I was going to say that Kareen not on the show would be my best book buddy. Because she's a very grounded reader, like there's two things that I know she likes. She likes nonfiction, especially about ecology and memoir. And then she likes fiction. She likes historical fiction, especially about India. And those are like pretty much slam dunks for me. But I guess then I probably read a whole bunch of stuff. Like I do, I do enjoy speculative fiction a lot. Things that wouldn't jive with Kareen. I also like Lindsay is someone who reads a lot of great queer comics that I always see their picks on the staff shelf. And I'm like, yes, Bridget likes really cute, like YA contemporary. And then also like um, romances that I find to be palatable. And Liz is the reader that I want to be. Liz always reads like very like literary and like literary sci-fi nonfiction that's like quite meaty and interesting. I feel like I'd like to say that Liz is my like closest book buddy, but that's probably like aspirational. 
in terms of who I don't match up with, like I feel like I read pretty widely and and like there's maybe not anybody too specific. I do know that our director uh, likes um things that are very that to me seem very heavy and boring. <laughs> so I mean, to be fair, I'm sure he doesn't talk as much about like, you know, what he's reading for fun, but usually to staff meeting, he'll he'll bring something that's like like a business nonfiction. And I just I want that knowledge, but I want somebody to give it to me in a story, please, because I can't read a big, thick book about that sort of thing. That's fair. Because I'm a big mood reader, there's some people that I go to when I'm looking for a suggestion on like historical fiction. I would always go to like Kareen Robson. If I'm looking for something kind of weird, I could talk to Virginia, something more literary. I kind of talk to Liz. But I think the closest to me of when I'm just in like a, a mystery mood. I just want a good, solid mystery by someone who needs who who can like string A to B to C in a logical way that doesn't make me furious. And so I'm going to kind of choose two people who I think read mysteries very widely, and I usually agree with the suggestions that they give. That is Noreen, who works in our technical services department, and Annette, who uh, works in circulation. And I think they are both very, very solid mystery readers, and there's a couple of authors that we really have in common. And so when Noreen suggests a historical mystery, usually set in the Victorian era, I know that it's good. I, I always know that it's good and that I'm going to enjoy it because it's going to be exactly what it says on the tin and it's going to do the job credibly. And then Annette um, also reads historical. I believe she was actually the person who kind of turned me on to the Lane Winslow mysteries. So I, I trust her taste and she has a, a really good taste in like contemporary mysteries as well that have to be like well-written and interesting. In terms of my opposite, other than of course my dear Virginia, uh, would probably be Leanne no shade, but she reads a lot of historical fiction about orphans. There's usually like the half of a child with their little shoes and their little like dress and they're holding a suitcase on like a train station or in the middle of some like ruins or a bombed out city. And I'm like not about that. So she has a very specific, I don't even know if it's a genre so much as an aesthetic, a cover aesthetic. And I think in terms of like the opposite, that's it. That, that that that's it for me. I do feel like Leanne noticed that at one point and made a point of of like looking back at some of the books that she had read and commenting on how they all did seem to have very similar covers, very very similar covers. So so kind of similar to Fiona, I'm kind of not going to answer this question fully cuz I I was trying to think and I don't know and maybe I just don't know enough about what some of the other staff I don't know if there's anyone else here that really really likes YA fantasy like as hardcore as I do. So there's definitely people who other genres that I I will read and that I enjoy reading that I can touch kind of touch base with. Green, you are one of them. I feel like a lot of the suggestions that you have given me I really like. Now I don't know if that's because they have been tailored suggestions knowing kind of what I like. So maybe that's why I don't know if I just picked a random book off of your like top top five list if if I would feel the same way. But I do know that we do have some crossover. Uh, same with Noreen as well. I do enjoy a good Victorian mystery. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do I do? <laughs> so yeah. So I think that that there definitely are are some people like that where more in the mystery mystery historical fiction side of things. I think I would kind of match up more. I hate to say this because 
she's like one of my favorite people, but I don't think me and Liz read anything the same. <laughs> I really don't. Like, I know that she reads some speculative fiction, but it it usually has more of a literary tone to it. And I do not like literary fiction. I just cannot get past the language of it and the like it's just it's too much for me I need something fast-paced I need something that just kind of gets to the story gets to the action it can have really great characters and I enjoy really great characters but I just yeah I, so I don't do well with uh, literary fiction I don't do well with nonfiction. everybody knows I'm not a big nonfiction reader and I know Liz does read a lot of nonfiction, as Fiona mentioned as well so yeah, so I think Liz and then also possibly Heather, because I know Heather reads a lot of horror and like very, very horror, horror-ish horror. And uh, I have dabbled in horror, but not not horror-ish horror, very light, light horror mystery. So yeah, so unfortunately, Heather and Liz, I think, are probably my my least compatible readers. Thank you for answering that, everyone. I'm really like desperately wanting like a giant Venn diagram. And I think that maybe we should we should send out like a survey of, you know, like answer these genre questions and stuff, because I, I'm starting to feel a little bit bad. Like maybe I need to find out a little bit more about what people read instead of just declaring their reads boring. Yeah. So so I'm going to walk that back a little bit. All right. Thank you so much. We are going to move on to Kareen and my buddy pick. And something that I really realized from this is that, you know, we've been doing this for ages and we work very closely together. I still don't think I know what makes a book that Kareen will enjoy. Like I was like, like trying to pitch things and I was like, okay, romance, mystery, uh, that was kind of the end of the line. Like, so I feel like we made like a moderate compromise that that maybe didn't go so well. All right, I will, I'll pass it over to Kareen to uh, do the big reveal, <laughs> what we ended up reading here. Fiona was so diligent and so good because they're sending me like, oh, I'm reading this and this and this right now. Like, do any of those seem interesting to you? No. Oh, what about this? Like my story graph is all updated. Um, finally, literally had to like corner me <laughs> and be like, okay, we we need to choose a book here. We need to pin something down. And honestly, we had to go through what Fiona had recently read with Virginia there to make sure that I didn't like scuttle off like a little crab to finally nail down a book. Because of course, left it to the last minute, unlike uh, Sadie and Virginia, our spreadsheet friends, who clearly had read the book three months in advance and had like detailed like diagrams and like pivot tables explaining about this book. No, no, I read this last night. But we finally found a book that Fiona had read and or listened to. Uh, yes, definitely had listened to. So that's another thing that Fiona and I <laughs> definitely have a lot of differences in in that I cannot take an audiobook whereas I think that Fiona consumes them very well and I think that maybe an audiobook for this would have been a very different experience than reading it and and maybe an enhanced experience than it was we know that Fiona loves a historical fiction loves kind of delving into kind of untold histories or the histories of people and places that haven't like been well represented in fiction and I don't hate historical fiction. I don't hate it. So we went with Eleanor Shearer's debut novel, River Sing Me Home. 
The novel starts on the Providence Plantation in Barbados. It is 1934, and the Emancipation Act has just been declared. The master gathers all the enslaved people to the front of the house and declares that the king has said that slavery is over. As the enslaved people are cheering and celebrating the end of their horrible, horrible, horrible lives, their master explains what's going to happen next. Slavery is over. However, the king has declared that in order for the enslavers to recoup their costs, all of their people have to serve six years apprenticeship. So in reality, the only thing that has changed is what it is called. The reality is for all the enslaved people on the Providence Plantation, their day-to-day life has not changed at all. They are free in name, and freedom means nothing. But this announcement means something to Rachel. Something shifts and changes within her when she hears these words and realizes that she is caught in a system from which there is no escape unless she takes it. And so when we begin River Sing Me Home, Rachel is running. She is going to escape this life if it kills her. She runs and runs and runs through the forests and the streams of Barbados until she is eventually found by a older woman, uh, another formerly enslaved person who takes her to kind of like an enclave where she's able to rest for the first time and think about what she wants to do with her life for the first time. And what she decides is that her mission is going to be to find her five surviving children that were taken from her. Through her life as an enslaved woman, she had many children. Some died. Some lived. Some she got to see as children, as toddlers. Some she even got to see to the age of 12. But one by one, they were all taken from her. And now, holding her own life in her hands, she decides to go and track them down. She is driven to know what happened to her children. And this sets off a journey from plantations of Barbados to Bridgeport to British Guyana to going down the river into the forests to Trinidad, tracking the fates of her children. And as she discovers their stories, Shearer weaves in the history and different experiences of Black people in the Caribbean. We get a history or snapshot of the Maroon encampments. So these were a mixture of escaped people of African descent that kind of mixed with the indigenous people of the Caribbean and created their own culture. She talks about the lives of freed people who were living in a society that still had enslaved people. She talks about the rebellions and resistance that ended in bloodshed. She talks about the life of the plantation after emancipation. She talks about sex workers and those who were hiding in plain sight due to the lightness of their skin. This is a story about a mother risking everything to find her children. And 
It is a very kind of feminist historical fiction, uh, an interweaving of Black history, an examination of what happened after emancipation that we that we might not know. And so the author herself, I'm going to pass it over to Fiona to just talk a little bit about what inspired her to write this story. Yeah, thank you, Karina. And that was such a good recap. It actually reminded me a lot of what I really enjoyed about the book. So I appreciate that. Yeah, so this is Eleanor Shearer's debut. And she is the granddaughter of Windrush Generation immigrants. So she resides in the UK. But there's a great note at the end, which, you know, I always love an end note about her connection to the story. And she actually has done uh, field work in St. Lucia and Barbados, uh, which helped inspire the story. There's a family connection. She is a person of mixed race. And so a lot of this is drawn from her family history. Uh, and it is an own voice story. So I'm excited to see what she writes next. She does seem to have like a very academic approach to her writing. And I think a lot of research went into this. Yeah. So again, I really appreciate that recap, Corinne, because I think you you hit the nail on the head. What I loved about this story was the untold stories that came through and the multiplicity of people that we got to see. Like enslaved people were not just this one monotonous group of people. There were all of these different stories. And I especially love the Maroon, getting to know about the Maroons. Like what a what a cool, interesting culture that we we don't talk about, like, or at least I hadn't heard a lot about. And then all of these places like British Guyana, and I was finding myself looking up like, oh, I don't know anything. I've not heard of this place. And then suddenly it was like on my radar. So I feel like for me, that's enough. I didn't love Rachel as a character. Actually, she did. She grew on me a lot towards the end. But I just found that I just like went with the the flow of the story because I was like, what is she going to show us next? And and like you say, especially because I was listening to it. It's like it's just there's less resistance. It's like, you know, you just sit and like, tell me a story. So what did you really think? Like, I want to know. I'm ready to hear it. I'm ready to hear it. I don't want to rain on your parade, Fiona. As I teach the kids in writing class, like you give the good stuff and a little bit of the bad. What I thought was really good about the story is like the author had clearly done her research. Clearly, there was a good sense of history. And what I did appreciate is that even though she clearly knew a lot is that she didn't essentially just kind of info dump on you of like, well, I've done all this research and let me tell you. Um, I thought that she was very careful in conveying information in a way that really drew you in and just gave you a really good sense of kind of like the time and the place and the people. So this was actually chosen as a Good Morning America book club book, which I thought was very interesting. And I can see why is because I think one of the most effective things of the book is that it clips along. Like from the very beginning, like it has a a really intense forward momentum. Like there's a lot of energy to the book because she's on this quest, because she's on this journey. You do find yourself just being pulled along. I finished this in like two hours. I was really surprised when I kind of looked at like the length of it that I was like, oh, this is going to be a long night. But it wasn't because it's really plot heavy. So that as soon as you read it, like it starts with her running away from the plantation. You're like, okay, I'm here. I'm going. We're going here. Okay. We're going to Trinidad. Okay. We're on a boat. Okay. Awesome. Okay. We found one daughter. We're off to the next one. I know there's at least five. So in terms of like the structure of it is very clever. And I, 
I can guess that Shira is probably an academic because I could see like there's definitely a spreadsheet involved with this. There's definitely a spreadsheet involved. It's like, okay, the first child is this, second child is this, third child is this, 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 which I think, you know, for someone who is really interested in historical fiction, but maybe a little bit apprehensive about sometimes how dense it can be and how unenjoyable sometimes historical fiction can be if if they're not as good at plotting is that I think Shira has a really light touch in that I think you could give this book to like a general reader who has a little bit of interest in historical fiction and they would really enjoy it because it just moves so well. It doesn't dwell on a lot of things and it doesn't kind of like weigh you down. Yeah. I think that that is the benefit of the novel, but it is also to the detriment of the novel in that, okay, Fiona, I'm going to be really real here. I think it could have been written better. Like the dialogue or... (laughs) Okay. Every single person that she meets is like, oh yeah, I know them. I'm like, how small is this island that you remember someone that you saw like five years ago? I don't remember who I talked to yesterday. Yeah. I, I think that Ideally, either this book should have been very allegorical in that, like, lean into the magical realism that is kind of happening except not, or go really heavy into literary because it just skims across the surface of everything that I wanted it to go a little bit deeper. And I think, again, you really, really um, found that in that Rachel herself, who is our main character, is essentially a cipher. Like, she is an archetype. Everyone's an archetype. Everyone's an archetype. And that I really didn't get a sense of her as a character, as a person. She is just mother. She is just mother on a quest. I didn't really get to know get to know her. And I think you just kind of, like, project onto her whatever you want to project. I didn't feel like the characters were kind of deep enough. And I think that's because she wants to show a whole bunch of things. Like, there's five children to get through, so you can't really dwell too much with any of them. Which, again, like, maybe sometimes when you read a book, you find yourself imagining what the the book that could have been, that would have suited me better. Which is not fair to the author. Like, they are not there to write that story. They are writing their story. And so I think this is one of those cases where I think it could have been a stronger book, maybe if this was, like, her third book and she just had a little bit more chops to kind of pull this off. Yeah. Sorry. I know that you really enjoyed it. And so I don't want to like that. Yeah, no, I I agree entirely. And I think that that's why I liked this book instead of loved this book is like, if it were for me, it would have been like this. Is, I would excuse this for being like, you know, 200 pages longer and then we get more like we start to really love those characters and it's not all here and there and this person and that person but like you say it could have gone the other way and then I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it at all but some people would have loved it if it was like more allegorical and like we're gonna show the flow of events yeah it's like it went halfway and so it's gonna have larger readership but maybe be loved by less people and yeah it's a very interesting comment i agree and i feel like you're being very tempered so i I appreciate it i it's just you know i feel like this this whole thing is giving me the satisfaction of like what i want from a book club 
Maybe our next thing is we all read the same book and then like really get into it. That that could be dangerous. And again, like this book is very solid and I wouldn't hesitate to put it in the hands of a lot of readers. Because again, like if if they're looking for something that illuminates and really you get a more comprehensive view of a specific time in a specific period. Because I think a lot of people thought, well, well, emancipation, 1934, slavery's over, done. There's so much more story. There's so much more experience that we're not exposed to, especially when it comes to talking about slavery in the Caribbean. I think a lot of the stories that get a lot of traction in North America are those that are based in the States. And so kind of going over to the Caribbean and exploring that very unique and specific experience is also very important because we just don't get that in North America as much, but it is a huge, huge part of the story that we miss. I really did appreciate that, you know, she took that specific emancipation period and really explored out from it because I think it's easy again for people to feel very smug. Oh, well, the British outlawed slavery in 1934 and everything was great. No, no, it was still slavery for another six years. And then after that, still slavery. <laughs> so I, I think she does such a good job. And and because she writes, again, writing the book that I think she wanted to write, I think that it is such a good book to put in the hands of a lot of readers of historical fiction. And I wouldn't hesitate in recommending it in that way. So thank you, Fiona. Thank you for reading it with me. And now I really like maybe the next thing that you say you really love, or maybe I'll go back into your back reads. Like, I just, I don't, I still don't understand what a Korean book is. And I want to understand. I want to experience that. I'll I'll try to find like the quintessential Korean read and then maybe pass it on to you. Okay. I'm there. I'm, I'm committing myself to this. Well, thank you so much, book friends. Uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. Interesting to come out of this with, you know, with not as many recommendations as we usually do, but it, but it was a good experience, a good experiment. <laughs> All right. We will see you next time. And who knows what we will pull out of the bag. You never know what to expect from us. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm-hmm.